Hey there, my name is Dean Leverton and I'm the host of Upstanders, a stand-up podcast series. We have conversations with the dream chasers and change makers who deserve to be heard. In this episode, I chat with Eyal Halamish. Eyal is the founder of Our Say, which is an online platform that strengthens our democracy by giving citizens direct access to people in power and thereby helping government better engage with its constituents. We had a fascinating conversation about the state of democracies globally, how he built his own social startup, including how he sought investment and also the habits and techniques that he uses to ensure that he and his company are as efficient and effective as possible. I hope you enjoy listening as much as I did interviewing. Yeah, Halamish, thank you for joining us on the Stand Up Podcast. Thanks for having us, Dean. So we're here um, at the hub, the brand new hub. Um, it's pretty sleek, bus- bustling co-working space. This is your daily life. Are you living the dream? It's definitely the startup uh, dream as they've seen it in some of the <laughs> major TV shows. <laughs> Uh, yesterday I was talking about the vision for um, RSA, the organization that I run, and the woman I was speaking to said that talking to you feels a lot like watching an episode of Silicon Valley. <laughs> and it was only a few months ago when I was raising capital for our business that I hadn't had that show in front of me, and I was freaking out, wondering if my existence was even worth yeah. anything. And my business partner came into the office and gave me a USB stick and said, tonight, mate, go home and watch this. And I said, I don't have time for this. I'm I'm raising capital. I'm raising capital. This is a serious thing. (laughs) And I went home and I, late at night, after a a very long day, I put in the USB right before I was going to bed and ended up watching three episodes straight. Great episodes. They're quick and easy to watch. Couldn't couldn't stop and (laughs) realize that every single personality in that show... Uh, is somehow wedded into is my you? adventure so far. <laughs> it's kind of like strangely accurate, the show. Like, it's you sort of see those people in the... And so you're so here, so you've, you've done the raising capital, you're at a co-working space. Um, the audience have already by now been introduced to what Say is. Would you still consider Say a startup? You've been around for how long now? We've been around for about five years. So okay. we're, we're more of a business now. We're yeah. beyond startup and... We're a business that's working with governments primarily to help them understand the issues that their citizens care about. And our focus, especially since raising investment, has been on cities. So getting as many cities across Australia and the world uh, using our, our software product. Um, and it's a really timely time to do that. You yeah. know, we, um, We're now a business that's focused on fixing the state of our democracy. And as we know, with the trends globally, um, and even here, uh, democracy is in a, in a big scare right now. And yeah. so there's a lot of work to be done. Um, and so even though we're a business, I think that every single business these days is considering itself part startup, part business. Yeah. Because we're all realizing that the world is changing very quickly. You have to, very be, quickly. You have to, you have to constantly be dynamic, be and, dynamic learning yeah. with the tides. And so every major corporation right now seems to be trying to cannibalize itself with startups from the inside. Yeah. Um, we're the same. You know, we've, we're a small business and... We're trying to cannibalize our own business with new ideas, learning from the market, prototyping, mm. um, learning as fast as we can. You have to or someone else will, right? Like if you don't do it, then somebody else will. Absolutely. Yeah. You've got to be in, ahead of the curve. Yeah. I do want to talk in a second about what is becoming more and more this noble cause of fighting for the state of our democracy. But before I get there, I want to, I want to first understand a bit more about, um, about you and, and how 
you became passionate about this. Uh, five years ago, you started RSA, uh, and I think I remember it was probably three or four years ago that I became introduced to it. And it started off as uh, Julie Gillard answering questions online, Bob Carr answering questions on, online, Malcolm Turnbull. There were some big names there, right? All the big politicians. Uh, what was the concept for the initial idea, and how come how come that's now clearly shifted and pivoted over time? Yeah. The, the reason I got into this space was when I was at university, I got picked up by um, a lobby firm in, in Washington, D.C. to come and be trained to be one of their you know, student activists, student lobbyists. And I was really curious about the dynamics of power and how do we actually influence big decisions. And since then, I, I interacted with many different types of, of people who were trying to influence change, mostly in the activism world, you know, trying yeah. to get better access to government grants, um, better uh, environmental treatment, a range of, of factors in the U.S. And then even when I came over to Australia, I was, um, I was started working with companies to help them understand, you know, activist issues. And I felt that there was a bit of a, a divide and there must be a way to better connect people who want something changed with those who can actually make decisions about that. Cool. And when we first launched, I thought it was about getting as many people across Australia, putting up their ideas, voting for them, and then getting leaders of our society to respond to those issues online. Yeah. Um, and in going through that journey, we realized that there was more of a learning curve that needed to happen from the leadership side. So leaders had to be better at listening and understanding issues that came up. And that's why we actually shifted our model from just focusing on building a big swell of, of insight. How do we you know, work with leaders to really understand how we plug those insights into decisions they're going to make and also better manage public perceptions of those issues right. so that we can actually get more work done in a better way. Um, so when we were, in, you know, we were putting up questions to Julia Gillard, we were putting up questions to Malcolm Turnbull, um, there was such a com complex government thing around yeah. them, they couldn't really move. Yeah. Um, so we thought, let's go hyper-local, focus on cities first and start to prove the model at a city level. Yeah. And then if we can get enough cities using that, then scale it up to state and federal government as well. Okay. And that's where the new business model was Yeah, because I guess, you know, the, having these big names answering questions is maybe sexier, you know, easy to get PR. Mm. Um, certainly, I know that was, you know, you guys, I, I remember built up your database really quickly. Yeah. Um, and that's the sort of thing you can do with those big names, but it sounds as though you actually probably weren't having the impact or engaging creating those connections and democracy that you wanted to. Yeah, I think it was still early days for um, for everyone inside government to be mm. comfortable with new ideas coming in to shape the agendas that they were talking about. Now we're getting at a really interesting turning point. Yeah. I think the you know more and more of the major parties and you know all mate Donald Trump in the U.S. isn't too far off. Yeah, uh, he's a, a, a fresh perspective from way out there that traditionally the the government structures and the political structures would try to control and manage. And now they're realizing that he's very much inside of it. And so um, systems like say actually help governments uh, identify those people early and work with them to help massage them into the government structure rather right. than it being something that becomes overt, confusing, and you know, okay. um, stressful for government and for citizens. Yeah. And so how's it going? What's, what, what have your, what's your growth been like? Are you happy with how you guys are kicking on at the moment? Yeah, we've... We've gone from just a few cities to now almost 30 cities around wow. Australia that use us. Um, and our goal is to, this year, really turn it up. So this is a year of um, exponential learning and hopefully exponential growth. Yeah. And what that means is we want to work with uh, the cities we already work with, but also the 560 
odd cities across Australia to really figure out what are the things that are going to cut through across all those cities at once. So not just adding one new city at a time, but yeah. if we were to launch something that would be valuable for many, many cities all at once. Um, get some scale. Get some scale on that and then take that from Australia to other parts of the world as well. Wow. And so this year we're, uh, we're looking at our business and figuring out how do we figure out what that killer concept is going to be that's going to revolutionize this, uh, this industry. Yeah. I, I read um, when doing my research for this, uh, that on one of your bios you said that making a difference was in your blood. <laughs> um, I'm keen to know about when, when like you said you're you know doing student activism and and it sounds like it's it's been years and years that you've been doing this sort of thing. Where's the motivation initially come from? Like now you know you're sort of in it, but where did it start? Why was activism or democracy something that you're passionate about back in the day? Yeah. When I first got into you know politics and government in student politics, even in a high school, it was kind of just a cool thing to do. Right. It was just a badge or, you know, a certification. It's kind of cooler in, a, in the States than it is here, though. <laughs> maybe, no, maybe, I don't maybe. think there's that many Depends, people. Depends who you speak to, but yeah. Getting into <laughs> but the it was, cool group from politics. It was just, I arrived at university and I was involved in the high school, you know, we didn't really have the, is it the Ducks or is that, yeah. the, is that what you call them? Yeah. yeah. We didn't really have the Ducks, but we had of a student board which is really nerdy and geeky and okay. you know it wasn't the cool you know we picked the flowers for the prom right like, like the captain body or yeah, yeah. yeah it wasn't really that big of a, <laughs> of a deal um but then when i got into university i met a guy at uh, hillel which is the, the jewish <clears throat> student um you know place to gather on, on shabbat and the mix and he told me he was the student body president and i thought that sounds kind of cool how do you do that? And so good for the CV. Good for the CV. Good for the future, you know. Opportunity. And so I ran for it with um, with a friend of mine, and in the process, just learned. People started coming to me with ideas, things they wanted changed. We kind of took a, a more progressive, left leaning um, side of 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 running, and people started coming up with ideas. And once we actually got elected, uh, I found myself in a lot of uh, meetings with people who were saying, "Hey." I'm an African American student who um, is the first one to ever go to college. Uh, I've never had, you know, these, these opportunities, and even on campus, I feel racially profiled, and I have no access to the things that I was promised when I would get here. Um, you know, I went to Latino groups who had issues with uh, their family members, you know, coming here first or second generation, and still not being recognized as, as citizens but contributing to the economy. Yeah. Right, and so a range of issues that I was starting to see that I had the privilege of translating into either some kind of government policy or lobbying government to do something with. And so it was at that point that I sort of think, oh, maybe there's a responsibility that I've gained with this privilege um, that I want to, you know, take advantage of. Yeah. And I want to, not for myself, but actually for, for other people. And um, if we've got the skills to do something like that, we might as well go and try to do as best as possible. I think that's really awesome, responsibility that comes with privilege. And there's a lot of talk at the moment about privilege and white privilege. And um, I certainly feel it every single day. And there's a great BuzzFeed video I actually watched yesterday. I'm not sure if you've seen it. It sort of profiles. It talks about different types of privilege in Australia, and people step back when they respond no to a question, and sort of people, and ends up being you know these white males at the front and people of colour at the back. Uh, and it's a pretty um, stark and vivid way to imagine the privileges. Uh, and they I think they exist in Australia. They exist in the states. They exist everywhere. Uh, what is that? So, so what does it mean for you now, using our say, um, how do you ensure that our say maintains 
uses its privilege and its power to still have that social impact. Because of course you've still got to hit profit margins, you've still got to get return to investors and you've got to pay yourselves, etc. Um, how much of the focus can still be on social impact? Mm. For us, the greatest social impact is having having individuals at the center of the decision-making process, and in particular, individuals who are impacted okay. at the center of the decision-making process. And so that's actually quite a challenging thing for a lot of organizations and yeah. for government is to say, hey, we're going to be fully you know, citizen-centric. Um, yeah. And the truth is I don't have to be the intermediary like I did back, you know, I don't have to represent, yeah. I don't have to own that privilege. It's more about actually creating the space so that individuals who are passionate and um, impacted by something take their own ownership. Can take their own ownership, you know, stand at the core of, of an issue yeah. and speak directly to power about yeah. what they want to see changed. Yeah. And so for us, uh, it's about creating that moment on a regular basis and getting our, our challenge is actually working with government or other leaders of organizations to be comfortable with involving that insight into the decision that they make yeah. and showing them that actually we can build a better society if we created more porous boundaries between those who are seen as the other or as the outside and those who are actually making decisions. And if we start to see the same information, we'll, um, we'll be able to make better decisions as well. Yeah. So we touched on before, leading on from that, that we're in a state of democracy at the moment where there's clearly... Um, disenfranchisement, um, people are speaking out um, and, and that's manifesting in, in some people who we didn't otherwise expect to get elected, Brexit, Trump, all these things that seem to be a real um, slap in the face to what democracy used to be like where very mainstream um, reputable candidates got elected, etc. Um, how do you diagnose that problem? Like what, what, to you, why does that happen and how does that happen? A lot of people are frustrated yeah. with concentrated power and controlled elements of power. Um, it's pretty clear that for many, many years, the political institutions, and in particular the parties, have gotten more and more uh, insular yeah. and siloed uh, to the point that they're just nitpicking at different ideas and mostly going to lowest common denominator uh, forms of policy, uh, mostly staying the same during election runs and mm. trying not to steer from the, the status quo because they fear they might lose the election rather than tapping into something really bold and visionary, that would be quite a step change and maybe capture the imagination of the people. Um, and so after seeing that for so many years, because there is so much invested in winning, yeah. that we've, you know... Rather than getting things done. Or... Rather than getting things done. And so people actually get stuck in this, you know, in these, in these things. So I think that individuals have actually gotten quite... Uh, disengaged from the political structure as is, yeah. not disengaged politically, but disengaged from the political structure. Yeah. And so they're turning to other means of um, creating their own institutions or investing in leaders that they think will go and break that system. Yeah. And you know the, the, the things we saw with, with Trump in particular in the United States was that he, when he was saying things that were perceived to be as more uh, bigotry or racism, he was losing a lot of support. Yeah. But when he was pos positioning himself as an outsider, going in to really shake yeah. up the political establishment, that was, that was quite popular. Yeah. And so it means that people are tapping into that vein. They didn't even really care so much about what the politics were. They just wanted someone who wasn't part of the establishment mm. to be driving that agenda. And I think that doesn't mean that we need to throw out the establishment or um, only back, you know, yeah. mavericks into the political system on a regular basis. 
it's more about uh, making the system more porous so people can see how their ideas actually do influence policy. Yeah. Um, if Trump was able to see some of his, you know, or even if it wasn't Trump, if his supporters would see some of the ideas that he was talking about uh, actually influencing policy and decision making, they might have said, actually, our government's not that bad yeah. or uh, we don't need to change it that much. It's kind of working. So there's two things there. That One, I think if you engage, it sounds, like, it sounds like you're saying that if you engage people in that process better, that they can see that what they're asking for is being reflected in decision making, that'll better engage people and they'll see the government's working for them. But it sounds like there's also, and I'm not sure if you said this explicitly, but everyone, we in, um, in, in, in activism and people in politics, need to get better at showing how government is working for the people and where results are coming through. Mm. Um, <clears throat> A big thing of this is traceability. Can yeah. we actually trace when we say something yeah. or do something where it actually goes? Yeah. And with government, there's very limited traceability. The most common feedback I get from government, as well as uh, citizens, is that our feedback goes into a black hole, mm. right? Everything we say just somehow disappears into this... Bureaucracy of some kind. Complex it? bureaucracy. Yeah. And so we, um, we need to find a better way of, of showing that yeah. actually feedback does go into places and here's what it, what's done with it. Um, I think this is a big problem for government, but we've started looking at other organizations as well, you know, water corporations, yeah. banks, you know, other, other businesses and saying feedback into these organizations is currently done through really mundane kind of surveying tools yeah. that require us to fill out 30 questions, like 100 question you, surveys. Yeah. And normally when you're asking a question that's so specific, you kind of already know the answer yeah. that you want. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you, you want need... validation for it rather than... Exactly. Yeah. And so it's about how do we get to a point where we can have a much bigger conversation about big issues but then still trace that feedback into decisions that are made by institutions. So like, my question for you, and I feel like you're a good person to answer this, is are we rightfully feeling that it goes into this black hole or is it that we just can't see where that it's actually influencing people? Both. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> Sometimes we, our information is going into a black hole and it's because our in, in certain instances, government's not set up to deal with that feedback in a yeah. certain way. I, I mean, I wouldn't even just say government. Even in our business, we get feedback from customers and users on a regular basis, and we haven't designed um, the systems sometimes to take that Properly. stuff on board. Yeah. So it's around thinking through what is, what's actually involved in parceling feedback in different pieces and also letting people know, hey, thanks for that insight. We're yeah. going to do it. It's, it's really basic stuff as well, you know, to take it really, really granular on an individual level. Mm. When someone gives us gives you feedback, because we operate in such an individualistic, you know, society, yeah. we sometimes forget to say, "Hey, thanks. Yeah. That helped me do this. It actually did help. Yeah. yeah. Um, we tend to go on the journey, and we wonder if that person even yeah. cared. And I see that happen more and more with our generation and younger generations, where everything's quite tailored to us, so we forget yeah. to say thank you. And yeah. a lot of this is really about inspiring our government leaders as well as other leaders of organizations to say thank you. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, the best way to say thank you is for people to see that their feedback's being taken on board. I was on the phone to an Apple customer service the other day for my iPhone. And um, she said to me, like, you know, th there was, it was confusing buttons. And I said to her, like, that's kind of confusing. She's like, I know, isn't it? Like, I think you should write them a thing of, like, a, some feedback. And I'm like as if they're going to read that. And she said she did it once as just an individual user and two months later she saw the change she made. Um, and 
you you know, no one sent her a thank you. We um, took your feedback on board, but she saw them. You get this sense that there's a real yeah. um, engagement between customer and company. And yeah. if we, we saw that at a government level, I think we'd be pretty satisfied. Yeah. We've started actually naming certain features that come in to our platform after some of our, That's our awesome. customers, which is um, when they give us a really powerful insight and That's we co-create awesome. something with them. Will you know name it after them? That's pretty cool. Um, but I think that that co-creation is yeah. really that's how organizations like ours and and others um, who are interested in co-creating um, really thrive is by actually saying, hey, we want to work with you to build something that's really going to transform yeah. the way we work. Yeah, is is our say part of your uh, long-term strategy future? Like, do you think about like this is what I'm committing to for X amount of time or? Um, you know, a lot of people your age, our age, um, you're how old? I'm 32. 32. You know, people don't stay in jobs for very long. You've been committed to this wholeheartedly for five years now. When does it seem like the right time to move on? Or is it like, nah, this is my everything for the next infinite amount of years? Yeah. It's, it's an interesting question. You know, you, um, with businesses like RSA, because uh, we work in, in tech, we're constantly iterating and learning and we're almost one way to think about it is like mining it's like we're mining for gold mm. and uh sometimes you don't know when to stop mining <laughs> yeah. uh you think you're that close to the next <laughs> bit of gold or for those of you who watch the wire it's like we're j- that close to tapping yeah. you know the wire into the the right um drug lord that's gonna solve yeah. the whole case right and so we, we've definitely mined and we've built a good business off the back of through, through mining a little bit, but we're still looking for that the piece gold. of gold that's going to transform the, yeah. whole, the whole sector. Um, and I think this year is going to be a big, we're putting a massive push into that yeah. because, and if, we, if through this year we find that gold, it could be a lifelong journey. Yeah. And if this year we don't find that gold, it could be that there's other people who are interested in mining you know, yeah. for longer in that, in that yeah. space than us. So, so you're basically... So, so there's a, a, a certain amount of time that you're prepared to mine for. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's fascinating. So I think that's a lot. Of, a lot of people do that. They're like, you know, I'm going to go exploring, looking for the next big thing. Yeah. Um, and if I don't get it, then I've got to move on to mining, but maybe in a different industry for a different product of some kind, or a, you know, a different mineral. Um, because, yeah, you, your time could be up. Yeah. You know, mining. Not yeah. yours specifically. I'm yeah. Talking. <laughs> yeah. For for me personally, this is something that I've always been passionate yeah. about. I think we're, um, I feel like we're, we're three brush strokes away from a masterpiece. Yeah. Um, and that's a really exciting opportunity. Mm. We are absolutely sitting, as you asked me at the beginning, you know, is this the dream? Uh, yeah, this is absolutely the yeah. dream. I am so privileged to be able to uh, work with the most incredible people in building this business, the most incredible investors and mentors in building this business. And... Uh, people are actually so curious about this yeah. space that the most senior politicians in this country and even in other countries that we've gone to have given it a crack and actually used our, wow. our product. Um, that's not uh, that's not you know that that's an absolute privilege and an honor and uh, something that I'd love it's to, to keep as well. doing. I mean, it's like it kind of is a signal to you that you are on the cusp. Like this could be, you know, like if there's that much interest in it, then then this could be it. Yeah. So you talked a bit about. You mentioned before investors and, um, and and mentors and all. Do you? I, I ask um, my guests and will continue to ask future guests um, about their tribe. You know, their people who they bring together, who inspire them, and who um, are part of their 
close inner circle of those who they can bounce ideas off and confide in and be vulnerable to and build things with, etc. Who's in your tribe? And how do you, how do you choose your tribe? Mm. There's a couple of layers to the tribe. There's the, there's the, the tribe of people that are working in this space. And even inside Hub, there's yeah. um, a tribe of people that are kind of going through similar challenges. I've met people through this network that are um, CEOs of, of other companies that are similar sizes, and we catch up on a regular basis to troubleshoot different things. Um, it's a lot, you know. Do you, want, do you want their names? Or do you... No, 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 no. It's, it's just, just the types of people yeah. here. So, <laughs> you, if you want to give them an endorsement, you can, but it's not. Name drop them all. Um, the, was the, uh, so, yeah, so there's, there's people that I've met through here who are going through uh, similar challenges to us who are CEOs of other similar-sized yeah. companies, and they are, you know, they're absolutely essential to yeah. the day-to-day. Um, I touch base with you know, with them on, on separate occasions just to test everything from up just how do I hire a new tech talent without knowing the specific code yeah. base that they're they're involved into. I'm having a problem with an investor or I need to raise more capital or I'm having an issue with a staff member, you know, all these, yeah. these challenges that you People actually can't... Same, level, same, of same level of issues. And, um, and then there's also been some... There's been a few mentors who've been involved with us from the very beginning who have watched us go through the journey um, and they've, they're part of that tribe. They're, you know, I catch up with them also on a regular basis. We've got some new investors that have come in with... Are they your mentors personally or are they more mentors to our say? They're a bit of both. So uh, a lot of people involved in our say have become personal mentors of mine but also uh, advisors to the business. And some of the new investors that have come on board are people who've built businesses and are you know 20 or 30 years our senior yeah um have kind of done it and now are feeding their insights um into this business as well as a, f- a few other ones but also yeah. um giving us the insights we need i think it's also valuable to tap into people who you know are working in our sector inside government people who work inside other civic organizations whether they be community banks water authorities and the likes and also um you know, the, the people I turn to the most and actually listen to the most and really sit with mouth closed yeah. are my staff. Cool. Because um, they are on the front line and they are the ones that are, you know, hearing the absolute vibrations yeah. of what the, the sector is feeling and thinking right now. And same with our end users. They're constantly dealing with people who are saying... I'm here angry about X or I want this thing fixed or I was so inspired when you guys did Y and that's where I really listen the deepest. Okay. And so a lot of those were, you know, we've spoken quite a bit about what our say looks like and the challenges facing democracy and and, and our say. But talk me through, because I know, you know, you've got a a life outside our, our say. I know that you exercise a lot triathlons and stuff like that so what is a what is a, a day in the life of of yours look like <laughs> um so i i tend to wake up quite early how early uh somewhere between five and six a.m <sighs> yeah it's early <laughs> and uh, so early so these days it's been a, it's been a quite a shift over the last year i used to wake up not as early but our team has really inspired me to wake up even earlier and be 
ready to go. And discipline seems to be a, a core factor of being prepared and having as much likelihood for success. And so the, the waking up in the morning and going for a swim and then a run uh, just gets me ready for the day. And you do that then, most days, you do that? Yeah, most days. Either swim and a run or alternating swims cool. and runs. And then I'll come into the office, uh, look through any emails that have come through uh, over the night and look at what our, some of our developers have done. Some of our developers work remotely. Okay. And so we've got some developers here in Australia and some in, um, in other parts of the world. And so we've got 24-hour development. Cool. And so it means that I'll wake up in the morning and there's already been a whole bunch of Changes. activity. Yeah. So I'll clear through those emails, have our morning meeting every morning at 8.45 to 9 o'clock with all the staff. Cool. Uh, 15 minutes, uh, everyone to check in on their, what's worked la- yesterday, what's their big thing for today, what's getting in the way. And is everyone in the office together that's meeting? It's all done virtually. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Some people might be in the office, even if in their office we go into different rooms. Oh, wow. So that everyone feels equal. Cool. Um, that's awesome. And then, but we all, we do have an office here and a bunch of us do work face to face. Yeah. Uh, but just to make sure that everything feels the same when we're in separate so rooms. So people overseas don't feel like they're not in on something correct cool. yeah and then we'll probably I'll have set up tasks throughout the day um, according to a, a matrix that we use called our must-haves yeah. our should-haves and our could-haves and so I'll spend the first third of the day focusing on the must-haves um, these are things like anything from you know a strategic documents input into a marketing plan um, you know managing an investor update something of the oh. sorts and then uh, I'll probably have a, a break um, and then I'll have another set of should have tasks and then a set of could have tasks like having a coffee or doing an interview with someone. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for feeling me. So I'm interested to know, like when you, I feel like when you've got a startup and you're the CEO of a startup or even, you know, not a startup anymore, but there's lots of things going on, lots of changes being made all the time, lots of iterations. Do you not ever feel like there are so many must haves? Like there are things that like your day just fills up with things that you have to do. Um, it's sort of surprising for me to hear that you've got so much time for should-haves and could-haves. Mm. One of the greatest tricks I ever learned, well, one of the greatest tricks I learned in the last year was starting things on time and ending things on time. Okay. And with my tasks, I break them down into 25-minute uh, tasks. And so if I think something will take two sets... and. There's a That's concept cool. called the, the tomato timer or the Pomodoro effect, which I use. Which is? Which is where you break things into 25-minute okay. tasks and you set a timer for 25 minutes. Cool. And you aim to achieve that thing in 25 minutes. And if you can't, you put it on for tomorrow. Um, or you give yourself another 25 minutes. And so I try to break all the tasks for the day into that. And you quickly realize that if you really sat down and just committed to starting and finishing in 25-minute blocks, you can actually get a lot done. Cool. Um, so you don't ever do double blocks you won't ever commit 15 minutes to something I might if there's something that I think needs 15 minutes it will also none of the meetings inside our organization go for more than 15 minutes wow. if it's um, if it's more than two people so if we want to have a meeting and there's more than two people uh, if it's going to go more than 15 minutes it needs a very clear agenda with outcomes otherwise we only do 15 minute meetings wow. and it's a new thing this discipline like this is like like, this is hardcore discipline. Like, I'm super impressed by this. Have you always had this sort of 
Or has it just been as you guys have matured as a business, you've decided like, no, we've got to be for real about this? It's probably the maturity of the business. Yeah. I was, we were definitely, um, the first few years, far more lackluster. It was almost uh, confusing and, you know, exploring different things and models. Mostly in the last year and a bit, we've really uh, changed the way we work. Um, and I, in particular, have changed the way that, that I work as well to, to be far more disciplined and engaged in the work that we do. That's awesome. Because it's, yeah, it sounds like there's a serious maturing. I want to know, um, some of the people you've worked with now for a while, I know your, your, your business partner, Matthew, you've worked with him for a while. What do you think, maybe you know this, what do you think your colleagues, your staff say about you? <laughs> like, do you reckon they think, I don't know, like, you know, sometimes you, you think, yeah, he's a good mate of mine, or he's really disciplined. Like, what, what are they? S- yeah. I, I would say that, you know, Matt, Matt and I are trusted advisors for each other. We're business partners who uh, have worked together for a long time and really believe that the other one is, is here for all the right intentions and will do the absolute best to deliver. Um, he calls me his second wife because he has his one wife. I sometimes think I'm the first one. <laughs> and... Matt would say that I'm pretty good at, you know, starting things up, pitching big ideas, and uh, and dealing with uncertainty and, and that bootstrapping part of the business. Um, I think other members of the team would say that they've seen me as quite an inspirational person in their in their lives and have gotten them to really step out of their skin with the, the things that they do. Sometimes they also probably find my ideas maybe too big and too far ahead, and I don't spend as much time bringing them down into how we're going to get there. And I know that's always been a, a challenge of mine, but they definitely have told me that I've inspired them to do a few things that are outside of the norm, and I hope I can continue to do that. It's pretty epic, and I and I don't doubt that for a second because um, even for, for I think for me and for a lot of people, your your big ideas are, are inspirational. Um, you've been a, a role model to, to me, and I think to a lot of people. Um, so, thanks for doing all that you do, and especially thanks for giving a, a couple of twenty five minute slots to this podcast. <laughs> Happy to. Thanks for having us. Well, there you have it. To all our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed it and got value out of it please subscribe and please share with your friends and family. We hope to see you back here soon.